everyone and welcome to the first episode of PHS Environmental Buzz. This episode is brought to you by Maddie and Kayla and the first topic concerns Ozone Day. Yeah, Ozone Day is not something most people know about so we both thought to share some information about it with you all as it is quite an interesting event that celebrates the prevention of ozone depletion in our environment. Annually, every year, people around the world celebrate how far we have come with ozone protection, and this celebratory day is held on September 16th. Many of you may be wondering what there is to celebrate, and let me tell you, in my eyes, it's pretty darn great. For those of you listeners who don't really know what the ozone layer is, it's a fragile shield of gas that protects the Earth from a portion of the sun's rays. Because of the importance of the ozone layer, the Montreal Protocol was signed on September 16, 1987 to start phasing out ozone-depleting substances. I just want to point out the significance between Ozone Day and when the Montreal Protocol was signed. Both of them were September 16th. Because of the international cooperation with this protocol, the latest scientific assessment on ozone depletion in 2018 said that parts of the ozone layer have recovered at a rate of 1 to 3% per decade since 2000, which is honestly remarkable if you ask me, considering many other things in this world take much longer to recover and replenish. Based on projected estimations, it is thought that the northern hemisphere in mid-latitude ozone will heal completely by 2030s, with southern hemisphere ozone by 2050s and polar region ozone by 2060s. This protocol also helps to fight against climate change as it has diverted an estimated 35 billion tons of carbon dioxide. Holy cow, that's a a lot. This past Ozone Day celebrates the success we have had so far since this act was passed 32 years ago and will hopefully remind people and drive people to keep striving for a better environment for our future. Wow, that's awesome. Another event that I believe is interesting is the expedition that is going on in the Arctic Ocean. The people involved in the expedition are climate researchers that were coming from Norway on an icebreaker ship. They all plan to stay at sea for a year in an effort to better understand climate change. During this expedition, the open water around the boat will become frozen and will lock into place. The boat will then travel along a current called the transpolar drift. This drift starts at the west of Asia and ends in the northeast of Greenland. They say if all goes well, there will be 300 scientists on the polar stern, which is the name of the boat they're on. The expedition costs a whopping $150 million, and the official name is the Multidisciplinary Drifting Observatory for the Study of Arctic Climate. It is led by the Wagner Institute. The Arctic is warming more rapidly than any parts in the world. Understanding this rapid warming will greatly help scientists figure out solutions to the problem. I'm going to be completely honest right now. I don't know if I would ever be able to handle the cold those scientists have to face, nor do I really want to look at a white background for a whole year. 
Although, I'm glad some people can do that in their job so they can help study our impact on the environment and so we can learn something from what we are doing. We actually have a person here that we are going to ask some questions about the topics we just talked about to see if he has any more input. Mr. Santi, have you ever heard of Ozone Day? Not before today. I have never heard of a day set aside to celebrate our ozone. I have been aware since I was a very young child on the, the depleting ozone layer, um, especially around the poles of the earth and exactly what has caused it. I believe that's uh, uh, HFCs or CFCs, the propellants that are inside of aerosol spray cans that eat away at ozone. Um, I know ozone is a, is a pretty neat molecule. It's O3, and it's uh, very, very stable. So uh, these HFCs or CFCs are uh, pretty incredible molecules that they can degrade that O3. Uh, I also know that the ozone layer is extremely important in holding in our atmosphere as well as uh, protecting our Earth from radiation and a variety of other problems that can happen if our ozone is not intact and um, yeah losing our atmosphere to space is not a good thing so the ozone layer is very important didn't realize there was a day for it that's good it seems to me like it's uh, probably along the lines of uh, Valentine's Day probably don't need a whole day just to celebrate that one thing it should be something we celebrate all year what are your thoughts on how far we have come since the Montreal Protocol was enacted? Oh, I know for certain that the ozone layer has been healing, and especially in the last 10 years, it is uh, one of those unsung victories of the environmental movement that more people need to be aware of. The danger in saying that, hey, what we did is great and the ozone layer is healing is that it really is a simple problem. It's one chemical in our atmosphere we need to protect, and that's ozone. And then one set of chemicals that clearly degrade it. So eliminating or removing those um, HFCs from our propellants in aerosol cans, it's, it's, it's simple. And it seems like simple problems, no matter how big they are, are easy to solve. And if you, if you spread it all over the world that, hey, the ozone layer is healing and we did it, we saved the world, people will get this idea that... It's that easy to save the world and that all problems have a simple solution and that uh, we are equally powerful as humans on this earth in our ability to both destroy the environment and fix it. And that's just not the case. Not all problems are this simple. Not all problems can easily be agreed to by all nations and all peoples of those nations. And uh, it's quite clear that we are much better at destroying things than we are at healing them. Do you believe that the scientists staying on the iceberg for a year will find something useful? Yeah, absolutely. Any time that we send people with great devices to collect data, it's going to be useful, whether it's immediately useful right now or it just becomes one of those wonderful historical documents and pieces of data that we can use and look at years down the road. The, the more measurements we take, to understand our world the better, by far. And I, I mean, in any aspect of our world, we should be measuring accurately uh, temperature, pH, wind direction, uh, t- uh, 
moisture, salt content. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. The more things we can measure, the more often, especially worldwide, that is just it's just better for us to know. And that is that's what science is about. It's it's about finding the truth in the natural world and universe. And you can't possibly begin to discover the truth free of bias if we don't measure things. What do you think they will find and its impact? I'm sure that time spent on an iceberg in the Arctic Ocean will give us a better understanding of about the speed of melting sea ice, uh, what in particular it is that is melting sea ice, whether it's uh, water temperature, um, surface temperature, the, the solar activity, or the, the salt content. All those things certainly play a role, but to understand the exact degree to which they are playing a role in the speed of ice disappearing from the Arctic Ocean, in particular the summer sea ice. I saw a couple articles this summer that indicated that there was no summer sea ice, but I understand that that's nearly impossible uh, at this point in time because they're on an iceberg right now. Uh, so understanding that the rate at which that melting is happening will be incredible um, in terms of people who care about the speed at which sea ice is disappearing. The impact that it will have is hard to predict, but I am sure that it will be used as ammunition to create more accords like the Montreal Accord or the Paris Accord or the Climate Accord that indicate the speed at which we need to act and the um, intensity of our reaction to preventing climate change. The problem is, is the people that are going to listen to that kind of science um, make decisions, and they're not all in the same room at the same time. So I don't know how much it's actually going to change unless they discover something about water, salt, and temperature that we never knew before, which would be surprising if they do. Thank you. Next, we will talk about some DIY projects that you can do and will help benefit or save the environment around you. A couple interesting projects that caught my attention when searching were a native bee habitat and plastic bottle herb planters along with boot herb planters. First, I'll start off by explaining the native bee habitat. Hopefully many of you have heard that bee populations are decreasing rapidly. To help with this problem, this native bee habitat will hopefully help in some way, shape, or form. The directions I'm about to read off are from goodnet.org, just in case you want to read them for yourself. First, what you will need is a piece of scrap wood, a drill, and drill bits ranging from 3 seconds inch to 3 8 inch. You will first take the scrap wood and drill holes that go roughly 3 to 4 inches deep. Space the holes at least 3 fourths of an inch apart. Then you will turn the bee habitat over so the holes face the ground and tap out any wood shavings from the inside so the bees will have a nice spacious home. Lastly, place the bee habitat in your backyard, making sure to choose a place where the holes can face the south or southeast so they get morning sun. Rather than another habitat project, this project is plastic bottle herb planters also from goodnet.org. 
This project helps upcycle water bottles so you don't have to get rid of them and you can actually use them for a project. So what you will need is a marker, sturdy one liter plastic bottles with caps, a utility knife, scissors, label remover or vegetable oil, potting soil, and herb seedlings. What you're going to do is for each planter mark a line five inches from the bottle's base and use the utility knife to puncture the bottle at the mark and then use the scissors to cut all the way around the bottle. Then remove the label using the label remover or vegetable oil to get ready, rid of any extra adhesive. With the cap in place, invert the bottle's top portion and insert it into the base. Fill it partway with soil. Then transplant a seedling, adding soil and pressing it gently until the seedling is secured in the planter. Lift out the soil-filled top portion and remove the cap. Add about an inch of water to the planter's base, just enough to cover the tip of the inverted bottle top when you replace it. Give the seeding some more water to help it get established and then place it in a sunny spot. Follow the care instructions that came with the herb and add water as needed to the planter's base. Another project very similar to the plastic bottle herb planter would be to use old shoes and boots to make an interesting looking flower pot. All you do is you would add soil just like regular to a pot and add whatever plants you wish. Maddie also has some tips for you as well. Don't throw away your metal and glass food jars and cans. You can use them for many things. For example, if you had an old salsa jar, you could take the paper liner off and paint the cap to create a nice looking jar to put your belongings in. You can use the food cans by using it as a pencil holder. You can also add some paint to it for color. Well, that's all Maddie and I had for you today. We really hope that you took something away from this podcast, and don't forget to look out for the next one.